The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Welcome in, Gator fans, to the new Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Abelverde and Graham Hall. What's up, Gator Nation, and welcome into the Gator Sports Podcast. I'm your host and the Florida football beat writer for the Gainesville Sun, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by the basketball beat writer for the Gainesville Sun, Graham Hall, and we are here to talk some Florida-Tennessee rivalry, Graham. Yeah, it feels good, man. You know, I, I was saying earlier that a lot of people were not really feeling that this was like a rivalry anymore based because I guess the Vols, I, I don't know if you heard, they kind of they suck right now. <laughs> They're 2-5. and five. And Five a lot straight. of it, you know, but I was saying this earlier, Zach, when Florida was going through the Jim McElwain era, Tennessee fans were hopping on to their dial-up internet and piling it on Florida fans. They were not letting them have it. I don't see many Florida fans right now really loving the fact that the Vols have two wins. Really, this was a opt-in or opt-out year, and everybody opted in for the Vols. You haven't seen too many opt-outs. They went through a huge COVID situation early, and they really don't have anything to show for it. Yeah, I think it's funny how this, even though it is a rivalry game, Graham, you're right. I mean, I I don't think that Florida fans, Florida players and coaches look at this team and that program as one of their biggest rivals and hasn't for several years now. If anything, the game last week against Kentucky maybe got the juices flowing a little bit more for this Florida football team, but I do think that they're going to be amped up when they go to Knoxville on Saturday, Graham, and the reason why is because a trip to Atlanta is on the line. They get a victory over the Volunteers. They clinch the SEC East for the first time since 2016. They'll be going to Atlanta, Graham. And that absolutely should get them pumped up. And we were saying since the Georgia game, oh, maybe this Vanderbilt game, maybe this Arkansas game, maybe this Kentucky game, maybe they're all trap games because they've already beat their biggest rival in a sense, but they haven't clinched that SEC East trip. They've had weeks to do it, but Georgia has not slipped up. This is the week to do it, and it's against a rival. We've seen Florida in recent weeks run up 60-plus points. You have a chance to do this and embarrass a rival even further. And, you know, I know that the difference on the field, Zach, is pretty vast right now, but Florida fans care so much about recruiting rankings. And Tennessee has been right there every single year since Dan Mullen has been back in Gainesville. Jacob Copeland, who we spoke to throughout the week, that was a hat on the table for him along with Alabama when it came to his signing day. He was kind of considering that program. This is not a program that you can take lightly. Any chance that you can dig their grave right now, so to speak, a little bit further, I think you got to do that. And seeing that programs like Florida are number one in terms of social media engagement, using that as a factor, I just am kind of surprised that we're not seeing more people relish the chance to win the SEC East at the Vols expense because this is a rival no matter how you look at it at the end of the day. Yeah, and and we'll hear from Mike Wilson from the Knoxville News Sentinel to get some perspective on the Volunteers and and kind of where they've been at this season because as I mentioned, they've lost five straight games and you look at this matchup and how well Ford has been doing, where they're ranked, their Heisman Trophy contender, maybe contenders. You got to give some credit there to Kyle Pitts. But given all that, this is still a team, Graham, that in the last two games have found themselves trailing 10-7 to 7 in the second quarter. So 
They have not played a complete game. Dan Mullen has talked about this week. We mentioned it on our Swamp Cast. And that's got to be the goal on top of trying to punch their ticket to Atlanta is show that they can play a complete 60-minute game offensively, defensively. As good as they've been on that side of the ball with Kyle Trask and company, they've had their spurts throughout the season, whether it's they can't finish off teams at the end of the game or they get off to a slow start at the beginning – can they put it all together? And can they do it with an SEC East title on the line? And then defensively, we've seen them since they came back from the break pitch some second-half shutouts, but we also have seen them give up big plays and have those moments of inconsistency where you see Dan Mullen going off on Todd Grantham. So they want to get a complete game on the defensive side of the ball as well, and Saturday is their opportunity to do that. I think we think it's a possibility for the defense to make improvements because we've seen them do it already this season. Going back to the first few weeks of the season, especially that loss to Texas A&M, we saw players like Amari Bernie, Chris Bogle come out in the media and say, we can play better. Yeah, Brad could, Stewart. They came out and they owned those defensive performances, and that's exactly what you want to see and it's one thing to talk it but you actually have to walk it as well and Florida has walked it but they haven't done it for a complete game so the motto this week though Zach is pretty along the same lines they're coming out here and saying it's now time to play a complete game that's the motto that's what Todd Grantham said to us that's what we have to do this week and now we're going to see if they're going to once again live up to the motto of the week on defense and obviously that's important every week right you want to play a complete game you want to have a full 60 minutes of football but it's especially important right now because you know what's out there lingering it's a matchup potentially with the top ranked team in America and if you go to face Alabama and Atlanta you better play a complete game you know you, uh, absolutely that better be the point in the season where you're peaking and this these new ne- and these next two opportunities at Tennessee and then against LSU is Florida's chance to do that. It's a juxtaposition between Florida always saying that we're focused on the next game while understanding that if they don't improve before they get to Atlanta, that game's not going to matter, so to speak. They have to make those improvements before they get there or they're going to get blown out, which not to bring up any uh, PTSD or whatever you want to call it for Florida fans, but that has absolutely happened to Florida teams recently when they've got to Atlanta, especially at the hands of the Crimson Tide. So I don't blame anyone, fans, coaches, coaches, players alike, for saying we've got stuff to get corrected, even though we're going out there and beating teams by three-plus touchdowns. It's really hard to focus on the three 24-point victories <laughs> if Florida out there is making mistakes and trailing 10-7 to to teams like Vanderbilt, who hadn't led since the first week of the season against Texas A&M, or Kentucky, who the week before lost 63-3 to to that Alabama team that you're supposed to be looking forward to facing. It just doesn't make any sense why you would say, oh, we got the victory, when you know that it may not matter in a couple weeks and no one remembers those regular season victories if you embarrass yourself on the national stage in Atlanta. And that's what happened the last two times the Gators have gone there to play Alabama. So there's a lot that they have to still get better at. And as much as we'll put this team under a microscope and look at those things, there's a ton of things that need to get corrected in Knoxville. And we're going to take our first break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll be joined by Mike Wilson from the Knoxville New Sentinel to get some perspective on the volunteers. What has went wrong with this team this season and what can they do to possibly get an upset on Saturday? We'll be right back after this break. Bring game day tailgates home this season after a stop at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Stock up your huddle with beer, hard seltzers, your favorite wine, or something sparkling. ABC is Florida family-owned and has been getting Gator fans ready for kickoff since 1936. Head inside one of their 125 stores around the state or try their curbside service by ordering online at abcfws.com. 
ABC Access loyalty members can save $10 on wine, 10% on beer and hard seltzers, and earn points toward $5 coupons. ABC, always be celebrating. Hey, Gator fans! The best way to unwind and chill out during these busy go, go, go days is to reach for the one beer that's literally made to chill. That's Coors Light. It's important to relax these days, so crack open a mountain cold Coors Light and chill out. Now that we're getting towards the critical parts of the college football season, it's important to make sure your refrigerator is stocked with cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged Coors Light. In fact, the mountains on the can will turn blue when chilled to perfection. So when you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Coors Light. You can even have Coors Light delivered by going to get.coorslight.com. As the games get hotter and hotter, reach for the one beer that's made to chill. Coors Light. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a Gator fan who believes saving money is better, join ViStar and save up to $5,000 in closing costs when you buy or refinance a home. The ViStar No Closing Costs Mortgage has a great rate, no hidden fees, and like the name says, no closing costs up to $5,000. At ViStar, we never forget that it's your money. Proud partner of the Florida Gators. Equal housing opportunity insured by NCUA. All loans subject to credit approval. Offer not available on VA and FHA mortgages. For more information, visit ViStarCU.org. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast. We're now joined by Mike Wilson from the Knoxville News Sentinel to get some perspective on this Volunteers team. Mike, thank you for joining us this week. How's it going, my friend? Doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing good, man. Just uh, winding down the regular season and conference play wrapping up and uh, seeing where things are going to end up with Ford on Saturday. They got an SEC title on the line uh, for the Eastern Division that they can win. And obviously the Vols are trying to play spoiler on Saturday. Just talk to me a little bit, Mike, about their season and kind of obviously what's gone wrong here the last five weeks. You know, Tennessee started out the season nicely, uh, won their first two games, uh, beat South Carolina, which at the time you know how to evaluate that win. Uh, beat Missouri, which ended up looking like a quality win. And at that point, Tennessee had won eight straight games, but they have lost five straight games now by double digits in all of them. Uh, and it's just kind of been a spiral of really bad football. Um, not very good defense, poor offensive play. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was given a contract extension before the year, and now you've got fans that are obviously heavily displeased with the way that the program's going. So, you know, it's, it's Knoxville, Tennessee, man. It's always a little bit hot up here, it seems like, when it comes to Tennessee football, and uh, that's no exception right now. Now, you mentioned the contract extension. What type of pressure did that put on Pruitt going into the year, and how much did the COVID offseason, does that play into a factor into the way things have played out? Yeah, you know, I don't know if the extension added pressure. At the time, it was, it was an odd extension at the time, understandable in that, that Pruitt was coming off you know, a 7-6 and six season. They played really well the back half of the year. Uh, won a bowl game, so there was there was enough there to understand it. Um, but at the same time, it it also was kind of like, well, is there a reason for the extension and raise? Uh, who really knows? I don't know what conversations were going on there. 
Um, but it happened, and now in hindsight, it looks pretty rough because he's got a team that's two and five with a with a third year head coach. He just extended um, and gave a raise. Mind you, the raise doesn't kick in until next year, but uh, still, still was given. Um, but the COVID factor is there. Um, Tennessee likes to talk about having a young team. They don't really have a young team. They have a lot of veterans on this team, but where they were hurt is they brought in a lot of guys as freshmen they expected to contribute, uh, especially at wide receiver where they needed some help. I think Harrison Bailey at quarterback would have gotten a, more of a head start with that spring football segment that he did not get. Um, so th- those things hurt. Um, so it's not a young Tennessee team, but they needed, they needed the time to really develop uh, to become better, and certainly the pandemic hurt them in that respect. Mike, I wasn't so surprised by Pruitt receiving the extension as I was by Philip Fulmer's recent comments, I believe they were this week, that many people are taking to be a defense of the third-year head coach. What did you think of those comments? Do they surprise you that the athletic director would come out here right now? Normally this time in a non-COVID year, we're talking about that coaching carousel picking up and teams moving on. Did it seem like Fulmer kind of put his, his neck out, so neck out for him in a sense? I, I guess I want to go there. He did, but and to some extent, it's, it's kind of that point in the season with, with the struggles where you start wondering, is that, that vote of confidence coming? Um, because th- there is a lot of hostility among the fan base toward Jeremy Pruitt right now, so it's kind of at a point where either the AD says something or he doesn't. Um, I thought the comments were interesting. I, I thought some were fair, certainly. Um, pre- preaching patience is always a good thing. Um, Preaching understanding is always a good thing. I mean, those are certainly two things that, that generally sports fans don't have um, for, for desiring wins and things quickly. Um, so it was fair, I thought, to make those comments. I thought the comparing his first three years to Johnny Majors was kind of an interesting comment, uh, just pointing out that the record was very comparable to what Johnny Majors had in the 80s. Uh, it's, it was a necessary comment, I thought, but I really thought it could have been more emphatic in support of Pruitt, if that's really where he is. But this is Fulmer's hire. I mean, and that's an important component here of all of this. I mean, Philip Fulmer, his first act as AD was hiring Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I think it was about a week after uh, Fulmer took over as AD after John Curry was let go. So th- this is his guy. He-, he really hitched his wagon here. And-, and Fulmer needs to see him succeed, or counter that is, he needs to cut ties and argue that well, last time it was a scramble to hire, and we had bad PR going on, so this time I'm going to get to do a real coaching search. But um, I-, I thought it was a necessary thing that he did yesterday. Now, one storyline following this Tennessee team all season has been the play and just the status of Garantano and, and kind of where he's at and his development or lack thereof. What do you make of, of how his season has gone and just the Tennessee quarterback situation and certainly how that's played a factor in their year? Yeah, I mean – Jarrett's a fifth-year senior quarterback now. He's started on and off throughout four seasons. I think he's got 32, 33 career starts now. But the problem is he doesn't look a whole lot different than he did in the first five starts. Um, There's been a lot of talk about different things. He had four offensive coordinators in four years. So this year was the first time he's had the same offense for two straight years. And that was kind of something that that we in the media and, and was a talking point from the staff was hanging our hat on was, okay, well, you know, now he's going to take that step in his game, and, he, and he's going to be the player that, that people have long expected him to be. But that hasn't happened. Um, he's struggled the same way as he has in the past, where you know, 80% of the game he is pretty good. Doesn't hurt you, makes some throws that help you, 
but then just there's a catastrophic mistake or two. And case in point at Auburn, I mean, throwing a pick six, obviously that was the massive swing in the game. And, and that's just the way his career has gone. Uh, he's shown flashes of being okay, um, a couple moments of being really good, but he's not a quarterback to me that's going to win you a lot of games. So his key thing is not to lose you games, but for the past few games, he's been losing them. Uh, in his past nine halves of football, he's thrown more defensive touchdowns than he has offensive touchdowns. Another Tennessee quarterback on the roster actually may be pretty familiar to Florida fans. Zach and I were actually out there a few years ago when Harrison Bailey came in as a sophomore prospect. I believe it was sensational sophomore night yeah. is what they called it. I actually have gone back to that footage a little bit and looked at how he showed up with his Marietta teammate, Eric Gilbert, the five-star tight end there at LSU. Just to get your take, where is Tennessee when it comes to that quarterback competition right now? And is Harrison Bailey a guy that maybe not this season, but possibly in the near future, they could be setting him up to be the signal caller of the future there for Jeremy Pruitt? The, the understanding here is that he's going to play a good bit on Saturday against Florida. Jeremy Pruitt's come out and said Bailey's definitely going to play. Um, he's been the most used reserve on this team this year. Brian Maurer has seen moments. J.T. Shrout has thrown one pass that was picked off and I don't know if he's sniffed the field in any capacity since. Um, hasn't really been given another chance. It's Bailey uh, that's the primary backup. Uh, he might start Saturday is kind of the buzz, too. Um, Tennessee does have a quarterback who has been affected by contact tracing. That quarterback is nameless. But, of course, there's not a lot of benefit to keeping it a secret <laughs> if it's Brian Maurer or J.T. Shrout. And Bailey is going to play, so that kind of, I think, points in the direction that, that everyone understands that Jared Garantano has been affected by contact tracing. Um, so I think we expect to see Bailey on Saturday, and, and certainly that's an audition for is this going to be the guy in the future or not. Um, the fan base wants him to be. Uh, I don't think we've seen enough to speak one way or the other from him. Um, he's, he's been put in games where Tennessee's down by two touchdowns or he's in the garbage time and teams are in prevent. It's hard to know exactly who he is as a quarterback yet, but obviously if Saturday is his show, we'll learn a lot about him. We're speaking with Mike Wilson from the Knoxville News Sentinel. Before we get your take on Saturday's game, just want to get your thoughts on the defensive side of the ball. Jeremy Pruitt coming over there. Obviously, the expectation was he was going to get that defense to kind of play up to another standard. And so far this year, that just hasn't happened. And then they lose a big piece of their defensive unit this week and Bennett getting dismissed from the team. How much does that impact them for Saturday? And just kind of what's your overall take on that side of the ball? Yeah, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about this not really being a young team. And this team returned five or six senior defensive linemen, um, returned Henry Toad, Toad, inside linebacker, um, returned a lot of veteran guys in the secondary, but just really hasn't played well. Um, they haven't forced turnovers. They've been beaten consistently, especially over the middle in the passing game. And they really haven't affected the quarterback. Um, so it's been a really disappointing season uh, for Tennessee defensively, especially when, as you said, Jerry Pruitt's a defensive coach. Uh, and this unit last year, I mean, the defense really played well down the stretch, and that's really how Tennessee closed the year well. Um, but they haven't done that this year, and Tennessee's offense can't overcome a bad defense. So you've got a bad defense and a bad offense, you're not going to win a lot. Um, but as far as Kevon Bennett goes, he, he was easily the best guy at getting to the quarterback on this team. And now you're taking that out of the mix. You're probably starting a true freshman now at, at one of those outside linebacker spots. So that's a massive loss. Um, Tennessee needed that that presence. He's been good at that. Uh, I think PFF credited him with 17 times he's affected the quarterback, and no one else on the team has more than 10. Uh, so, so that's a huge loss for Tennessee. 
And then as we get into Saturday's game, we've talked so much about maybe what's gone wrong for Tennessee this season, but what are some things that they've done right, and how can they pull off an upset when the Gators come to town? Um, I don't think Tennessee is going to pull off an upset, um, so I'm not really sure that I'm going to be able to give too too many. Uh, hey, at least you're a truthful reasons. man, Mike. <laughs> a, a whole lot would have to go right for Tennessee. Um, they would have to run the ball incredibly effectively. They would have to force turnovers in volume, and, and somehow they would have to do what no team has done this year, and that's slow down the Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts show. And, and I don't see Tennessee having the team to do that. Um, another factor in this game is Tennessee had, I think, two or three positive COVID tests after their Auburn game, but 16 or so players were affected by contact tracing and are just getting back to practice late this week. Uh, so they were hit hard and seemingly at some positions on defense. So that's going to hurt their chances of doing that as well. But I think this is a nightmare matchup for Tennessee. I mean, you bring in a quarterback that can sling it all over the field, and you bring in some really serious offensive weapons that he can throw it to. And Tennessee hasn't shown that they can stop anyone this year. Uh, I mean, South Carolina had one weapon in Shai Smith, and he put up big numbers on Tennessee. So you bring in Trayvon Grimes, Kadarius Toney, Kyle Pitts, that's a major problem for Tennessee. Yeah, wisely haven't seen too many volunteers defenders going at Kyle Pitts <laughs> this weekend on social media throughout the week in practice, probably for good reason there. Which kind of leads me to my next point here. This is something we've seen frequently throughout Florida Tennessee week is chirping between players oh, trash yeah. talk it doesn't seem like a whole lot of that is happening right now maybe it's because the game has been moved maybe it's because of where Tennessee is as a program right now compared to Florida but what is your take on where the rivalry is at right right, right now Mike are you, are you getting a semblance that this is a game that volunteers are are the volunteers are motivated to go out there and win against one of their rivals I mean you would hope that they would be um but I also think there, there's the factors in there. of You've lost five straight games by double digits. Um, you haven't played in two weeks now. Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of things I think can knock a team down. They, they say the locker room's doing well, that everyone's you know, getting hyped up for this game, big rivalry. But you can't really objectively look at this situation and, and say that it's a balanced playing field, that Tennessee's competing with Florida. I mean, last year they played early in the season. You're thinking Tennessee – all right, I think they were 0-2 at that point. They're going in there, and they got shellacked. They got shellacked the year before that under Jeremy Pruitt. I think that was a turnover-riddled game as well. Yep. Uh, they, they just haven't shown that they can compete. And, and, you know, that was honestly, when you look at this season for Tennessee, with expectations, you were saying, all right, they've kind of elevated themselves now to a place where they're going to beat the Kentuckys, Missouri, South Carolinas, which they weren't doing under Butch Jones late, and they weren't doing in Jeremy Pruitt's first year. And you're saying, all right, can Jeremy Pruitt show that he can compete with Georgia, Florida, and Alabama? And they showed nicely for a half against Georgia, but since then they haven't played very good football. Uh, and they really haven't shown that they can compete with those three teams who have separated themselves from the pack. We separated ourselves from the pack by having you on, Mike, and getting some knowledge <laughs> of the volunteers. And it's going to be a chilly game on Saturday. It's supposed to be. Are you going to be rocking? Is it going to be some sweater weather for you? I might go double sweater. I've uh I'm from Michigan, but I've gotten really soft since I moved south. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, even even the slightest bit of cold now, I, I really whine about it. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how bundled up I have to get. That's right. Well, I think those Florida players and coaches are going to be bundled up on the sideline. Um, but we appreciate the time, as always, Mike. It was great to catch up with you. And uh, at best, as always, we appreciate the time, my man.
Yeah, thank you guys for having me. The Gator Sports Podcast is brought to you by ViStar Credit Union. We never forget it's your money. And by ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Always be celebrating. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Podcast, and now we're going to look ahead to Saturday's game between the Gators and Vols, give you our three keys. But before we do that, Graham, just want to get your thoughts on what Mike had to say, anything kind of catch your interest about his state of the Vols program right now? You know, it really kind of reminded me when we were talking to him that this could be Florida. Coaching hires are so significant, and I'm not saying that Florida is that close to Tennessee, don't get me wrong here, but... If you make the wrong coaching hire, <laughs> regardless of what you're going to do in the recruiting trail, and I, I said this to you as well, this is a Tennessee program that has recruited well recently. They were had on the table for a lot of top prospects that Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia all wanted. Jeremy Pruitt, he may improve as a head coach. But if you don't have a guy ready to come in right away, and you know we got to remember, Mike said this as well, this could have been a lot different for Tennessee. They signed Shiano yeah. to an offer sheet for $20 million. And you look at Rutgers right now, two wins as well. If, if that's what the same, if, if you'd have the same results, whether you hired Shiano or Pruitt, I think a lot of people would have preferred not having to go after another guy in a sense. Yeah. And especially bringing a guy like Shiano back, where if you were going to blame him for what happened, at Penn State years ago. I understand that backlash there, but doesn't seem to make too much sense right now when you see how he's led that Rutgers program and you look at how the guy you brought in hasn't given you the success that you were craving. And those comments, Zach, that I mentioned to Mike from Philip Fulmer are so strange because he's not the first 80 to come out there and say, I have faith in my head coach, but to compare him to past coaches and say, I think we're actually better than our record shows, that is kind of going a little bit above and beyond in my mind and it just really brings it made me realize how different this thing could have been for Florida we couldn't be talking about SEC East Atlanta Kyle Trask Kyle Pitts two possible Heisman candidates like you said we could be talking about the prospect of another coaching search and and don't think that it's that far away from Florida because they had two failed coaching tenures in a row and how close were they Graham to possibly Hiring the wrong guy. They flew the president <laughs> up to New Hampshire to talk to Chip Kelly, and and that's the thing that we've that's been brought up by Florida fans a lot, especially these past two years. Is look at who was on the short list of all the Florida fans, and look who the Gators ended up with. And when you see how things have turned out with not just Chip Kelly, but Scott Frost, I mean, there are even some that had Willie Taggart maybe on that short list. Chip Kelly was kind of a non-factor for Florida fans within the first year in my mind because Florida fans care so much about recruiting. And Chip Kelly might as well have been laying in bed all day with his phone turned off, it looked like, because he they had, what, five prospects by that summer while Florida was in contention for a top-ten class yeah, in Dan totally Mullen's turned first that year. Cycle around. And that was not going to happen with Chip Kelly. Even Frost, I think you can say right now, Norvell, people were championing for him if you go back to 2017 people were saying that that was one of those guys who was going to be on the rise and i thought he would be too to be fair the list went on you know everyone kind of could justify one of those decisions in their mind but dan mullen the way that he has recruited and then developed talent the way that he's done both of those things 
is unparalleled compared to every other candidate that's out there. And it's just worth reminding because it's so easy to say, well, of course, Florida's a better program than Tennessee right now. They got Dan Mullen and they got... But it's about perspective, though, because just like Tennessee had two failed coaching hires in a row, so did Florida. And just by getting that one right guy who, don't forget... Tennessee went after Mullen, too. They would have loved to have him as their head coach. And where would their program be if he didn't turn them down? It was like, I think it was a $21 million deal Oof. that he had on the table. So um, I think all this is relevant because you're looking at Florida and their chance to win the SEC is on Saturday and how far they've come from that 2016 season coming the next year where they had another four-win year and had to fire another coach, and they've been able to resurrect themselves from that while Tennessee is still down in the dumps, still trying to find the answers and get back to where they were as a program. And I think the results on Saturday could make that even more in fact about how different those two programs are right now. Absolutely. I speculated with Mike that maybe the rivalry has dissipated a little bit. It definitely has. And Florida fans aren't even really taking – too much joy right now in the piling on of Tennessee because I think that they can unequivocally say right now that they made the better coaching hire and they have a better developmental program and then you look at the next two classes recruiting rankings which Zach I know you got a bunch of stuff coming up on this in the future especially as we get closer to early signing period and signing day in February this is a situation where Florida is only going to increase the gap no matter what Fulmer says in defense of Pruitt, no matter what, if Kirby Smart finally figures out how to develop a quarterback, Florida, based on what they're doing right now, the way they've set themselves up for the next two years, it's just not even really fair for their rivals. And so that's why you kind of see, I think, them letting up and going easy on them. And rather than, I'm seeing that Simpsons gif in my mind going over and over again that's like, stop, stop, he's already dead. <laughs> Florida doesn't need to go in there and make all the cousin jokes and. You know, have you ever seen a duck pull a truck? Exactly. They don't need to say that stuff in pregame, you know, media sessions because you know that on Saturday it's not really going to be a thing that could turn the tide. You know, Mike said it as well. I, I he didn't think that Tennessee was going to win. I would be really shocked if if some pregame comments gave the Volunteers the energy to to go out there and beat their rival on Saturday. Yeah, and, and as we look at this matchup, you know, there's still you still got to break it down. You still got to look at what it's going to take for Florida to win and. We talked about on this show, Graham, about them trying to put together a complete game, have the type of performance that can give them the confidence to feel like they're peaking at the right time leading up into a potential trip to Atlanta to face Alabama. But as we look at the three keys to the game this week for Florida's matchup with Tennessee, I think that you have to start offensively. And you look at the last two weeks, and we've heard Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson and Kyle Trask all come out and say they're not satisfied with kind of how they've operated as of late. And the fact that they were trailing with just only seven points on the board midway through the second quarter of the last two games, they cannot have a slow start on Saturday. That is key number one, absolutely. Whether they score on their first drive, whether they get up a, a bunch of touchdown drives within that first quarter, they cannot find themselves trailing in the second. They can't give Tennessee the, an opportunity to hang around, feel like they can be competitive in this game. They need to come out right from the beginning and punch them in the mouth. Florida has seen this 
season what can happen when they don't put away an opponent early. It happened in the Texas A&M game where you, you saw some fans and media pinning the blame on that late fumble when so much could have gone differently in that game before that period where if Florida had put the gas down and accelerated on offense, there really would have been a non-factor in the game. So absolutely, I think it starts with the offense. And I think many people believe, oh, the media is unfair. How can you criticize a team that is putting up historic offensive numbers has a quarterback that's likely going to pass Danny Warfel's season passing record through 13 games in just 10 games. How could you criticize this unit? Well, Zach, you said it best. We're repeating what Florida themselves have said. We have not done well enough offensively the last two weeks. It has not lived up to our standards. And the media is just turning their standards back on themselves. They have said, we think we're a championship team. And if you're going to be a team that's going to compete for championships in Atlanta and possibly uh, in the college football playoff, you you have to start strong on offense and not give your opposition a chance to take advantage of your slow start. Especially when you look at where the Gators are on that side of the ball versus where Tennessee is, is defensively, which we talked to Mike Wilson about. But I don't think that there's much concern. I mean, it's key for them to get off to a slow start if they don't. Can they still win? Well, yeah, absolutely. But for this to not even be a situation where Tennessee's hanging around, where they get a chance to maybe have Kyle put up the type of numbers that he can come out early, you get Emory Jones in, another round of experience for some of those backups, this is the type of game where that should happen. Just based on how Florida has played and how Tennessee have played as, as of late, if they bring their A game and they come out with a, with a fast start, that's how this thing could play out. I think the second key to the game, Graham, is if you look on the defensive side of the ball, so many areas that the Gators have tried to improve over the year, and they have in many respects, but this kind of category is one that they should be able to dominate when they go to Knoxville, and that's winning on third down. We all know third and Grantham and the conversation that that has been for him and this Florida fan base over the past three years, but They've had their games this season where they've done really well on third down, and this is an opportunity once again to make that happen. The reason why, Graham, Tennessee has the worst offense in the SEC when it comes to third down conversion. So I think that this Florida D should be licking their chops at this opportunity to maybe gain some confidence on that money down. And if they do kind of hold Tennessee to where they've been at all year, I think they're uh, converting just 32% of the time on third down. That's going to put this thing away really quick. It should, absolutely. And as Mike said, this is a team that isn't going to have their fifth-year quarterback in Jared Guarantano. You you figure that he's going to be one of those guys out of the game due to contact tracing. So if they are starting Harrison Bailey, seems he's going to be the guy. Third and long situation. If you can get him in third and long situations, there's absolutely no excuse why you could possibly come away with some takeaways, get your defense off the field as well. And as we saw last week, maybe make some plays with your special teams. If, if you keep doing that, that's a way for Florida to score as well. So you'd think that against a team that is going to have an inexperienced guy back there and as well everything you just said about getting off the field on third down, there is no reason that Florida should be having one of these performances where they allow the opposition to have 12 or 15 third down conversions like we saw earlier in the season against Texas A&M. So certainly... Uh, there's not going to be much leeway from the Florida fan base when it comes to third down on Saturdays. And if you're sitting there watching this game and Tennessee is still in it and it's competitive, especially in the second half, 
them being able to move the six on third down and Florida not having the type of start offensively is is probably going to have a lot to do with that. But for the third key, and you kind of alluded to it, Graham, with the takeaways, that's something that needs to happen. And we saw this defense be able to do last week against Kentucky, coming up with three interceptions all in the second half was a big part of why they were able to pitch that shutout. And you look at this Tennessee team, Garantano's thrown four picks this year. And if they have a new signal caller going up against what is going to be one of the better defenses that they face this year, this is going to be a chance for that secondary and defensive unit as a whole to come up with some turnovers. And that's something for the first part of the year that they really weren't able to do. It was just Gervon Dexter there for a while was the only guy with the pick. They've kind of shown up here in the last few games. Certainly against Kentucky, it was their best performance. If they can duplicate that in Knoxville, that's going to pretty much eliminate any shot that the balls will have. Absolutely. Florida's secondary, let's be honest about it, has received some criticism this season, and some of it has been because they've been in position to make the play, but just don't come down with it. And whether it's Marco Wilson, Donovan Steiner, Sean Davis, these guys have shown a tendency to just not get the breakup or not get the interception even though they're in position. And that is something that they know needs to change absolutely you go back to the second half against Kentucky those interceptions by Mahmoud Diabate Sean Davis and Trevez Johnson obviously leaves a lot to be desired because you know that Florida is capable of doing that and now you factor in everything we just said an inexperienced quarterback a weak offensive line a team that struggles to get off the field and a team that's probably gonna have to throw at some point they're gonna get in that spot where they just feel like they gotta chuck it if this becomes a situation where Against Kentucky, that offense is able to run the ball, I think, 31 times in the first half. If Tennessee is able to establish their run and keep picking up chunk play after chunk play, and then Harrison Bailey somehow is able to get in a rhythm, it's absolutely going to be concerning and bring up all those questions that we have been talking about about Florida's defense. If they can't do it against this Volunteers team... If Tennessee's going to do that to you, what's Alabama going to do? Alabama's going to go up there and put 70-plus on you, and, and Nick Saban could still be up in his loft yelling at the TV while an assistant coach does it. So, absolutely, it's going to be concerning if Florida doesn't go out there. We touched on the rivalry aspect. We touched on the inexperience. There's no reason why they shouldn't go out there and absolutely beat this team by a 50-burger. Yeah, and I think that they'll have a chance. I don't know if they'll, they'll hit 50. I do think they'll score 40 in this game. They haven't in the past two outings, um, and, and I think they'll be able to put it together against this Tennessee team. I don't know how much points the Vols will be able to put up in this matchup, Graham. Maybe they can get to 20. That's kind of been around what they're averaging, but you, you think that one thing that teams have a chance to score uh, against Florida is with the big play because when this defense has allowed points, it's been off of that, especially recently. And if that happens on Saturday, maybe that's will be a chance for Tennessee to score. But they haven't done a lot of that this year at all. They rank last in the SEC in long scrimmage plays. So I don't know if this is going to be the type of team that can burn the Gators like some of the others that they've played. So a lot to like about this matchup going into it if you're Florida. It's a chance to dominate. It's a chance to have a complete game. But most importantly, it's a chance to clinch the SEC East. That was the goal when Dan Mullen came here was to get Florida back to that point. And in year three, Graham, this is it. They're finally here. They're also playing for... I, I hate to say it as brownie points or reputation points, whatever you want to call it. Hey, it's style the college points. football playoff committee, man. They're but watching. You absolutely have to go out there and impress some teams. And it, it has to be a little bit upsetting for Florida fans right now and, and remind them every single time that they see Texas A&M 
a place ahead of them. And let's be honest, Texas A&M has not looked like the number five team in the country or no. a team that's really going to go out there. You go back and look what Kellen Mond did last week. I think he was 11 for 31 passing. Uh, you know, that's a guy who had the game of his life against Florida tore that defense up if Florida continues to not take advantage of the wins and a chance to jump a team that isn't even going to be able to complete compete for the conference championship it's going to be extremely disappointing because that is something they're playing for right now Zach we talked about fast starts as well best case scenario for Florida is that Kyle Trask starts fast so that Dan Mullen can do both appease both sides pad those Heisman stats early in the game and then focus on the development of his guys that have been in the building three years like Emory Jones and and soon to be Anthony Richardson in a couple years that's what he wants to do and no better way to do that than to actually beat the crap out of one of your opponents and, and your rival look, no they've less. done that against Tennessee the last two years there's nothing to think that they shouldn't be capable of doing that and and Graham I guess it sounds like you are a proponent of the youth movement as the Florida fans like to call it you want to see some of those young guys get those opportunities if it's appropriate of absolutely I, I think that with Kyle Trask because we've seen opposing defenders not only target him go back to Kelvin Joseph pushing him the Cash Daniel incident last year <laughs> you know this is this guy's your best chance even if the defense doesn't improve if Kyle Trask does get hurt let's play it let's call it how it is if Kyle Trask gets hurt, those are kind of your odds going out the window. No offense to Emory Jones whatsoever. So I do understand why Dan Mullen, even if it's only a 21-point lead, only a 21-point lead, would choose to go for the youth movement. So absolutely, that's part of why I'm on board for that. And we've seen time after time, again, getting guys in games, getting early reps, having guys capitalize on reps if they're going to be in line for a starting job next year has so much value. And there's no reason to think why Dan Mullen wouldn't stray away from that on Saturday, if given the opportunity. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Gator Sports Podcast. Graham, it was so great to be joined by you once again. We've done so many shows together and now we get to be joined on this platform and to talk to you guys for the rest of the season and hopefully to take you to a trip to Atlanta and potentially the college football playoffs. So there's a lot to look forward to. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Gator Sports Podcast. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Alboverde. 